Welcome to the English Language Leaders. I'm Meeks. And I'm Bradley. And welcome to episode three. So today we're going to be talking about um, our ELD students and kind of the levels of ELD students and how they're put into our classes and the ever changing and complications of <laughs> moving students through moving ELD because it is fluid. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's crazy. But um, when it, I, I'm going to start by just explaining to our listeners how students get put into ELD because I there is some misconceptions um, that I hear from parents and from students. And uh, I've even had students who said, oh, they're racist. Like, they saw that I was brown and they put me in ELD. I'm <laughs> like, no, that's actually not how it works. You checked <laughs> the box. <laughs> right. So um, when students are enrolled into a district in California, they take the, um, they, on their enrollment paper, it says, what language do you speak at home? So is anything other than English, then they're flagged as an EL student. And that is a real thing because we speak Spanish in my home as well. And one of the things that I realized, um, my daughter's their dominant language is English. And I knew if I marked any other language at home, it would flag them for that. But I knew that they didn't have enough Spanish to be considered an ELD student because English was their dominant language. So I always kind of tell my friends, careful when you check the box because you might be setting your kids up for more testing or more placement that can cause confusion later. But I know you're going to touch on more of like how that works and how they decide if they get into ELD. For sure, because it, just by just by a, a parent or guardian checking that box doesn't put them into an EL class, mm -hmm. right? Like they, there's. Um, they, they take the initial, in California, it's called the LPAC, um, which is the, the placement test for ELD students. And so even before they step foot onto any campus, they take that test. Now, it is often, uh, your kids would probably be um, in this category as well. Like if you are fluent in English, you take the test and often students will test out of it. Mm. So it'll say, oh, they were flagged as an EL, they took the test, they pass the test, so when they go into school, they are not put into an ELD class. Good to know. So there are students who come in and it says, oh, they've already been reclassified even though they were never even... In ELD. I yeah. True. Okay. So if they take the test and they don't pass it, um, then they're flagged. Uh, before it used to be the CELT and there was levels one through five. Uh, now it's a one, one to four level. So if you're a level one student, you have almost no English you're at the very beginning of your, your language journey. Uh, and then a level four student is almost out of ELD and um, and is probably getting ready to reclassify. So theoretically, a student who has zero English proficiency, it would take them between four to five years to become fluent in English to be able to reclassify out of the program. So this is where it gets really tricky because, uh, and this is actually what my dissertation is based on because uh, we oftentimes see students getting stuck. So let's talk first about, um, so the students take L the LPAC test, they become a level one, a level two, a level three, or a level four. And when they enter into the school system, and specifically right now at our high school, it is a mess trying to get these kids placed in. <laughs> I'm just happy right that I am joining you at a time where you have 
accomplished so much in the mess that can be ELD in so many schools. My first district, our ELD one class was not, a, it was a one-two combo class. Oh, it's the worst. And I inherited the structure from the previous teachers. And mind you, they had gone two years with subs because they hadn't had a designated teacher for ELD. And so um, it was just kind of there. And I remember when I inherited the class, they're like, you know, we're super out of date. I looked up their structure. Nothing had been addressed since the mid to late 90s. And this was in like 2016, right? So it's been a while. And I remember thinking, okay, as I became the teacher, the monitor, like all the things that you are here, I learned that the ELD ones really should be by themselves. They have a very different journey than our twos and our threes. So I'm actually really glad that you said that because that has been that has been um, something that I've advocated for um, a lot because essentially this so this next year I'm going to be teaching only ELD ones and you'll be having <coughs> levels two through four. Oh, lucky me, I love them. <laughs> I like the differentiation there though. There's so much room for growth. Oh, for sure. And um, and the the ones like you know we're not starting with you know, sentence structure. Like we're not starting with how we're to write a paragraph. English like we are alphabet. literally starting with <laughs> the alphabet, one. right? Yes. So it's like you, if you have a student who is learning the, the letters of the English alphabet and the sounds of the English alphabet with a two, and we know kind of like by scores and, you know, statistically speaking that our twos are, you know, like they're ready, like they're learning advanced grammar, they're learning advanced sentence structures, they're, you know, probably writing more complex sentences, like, you know, beginning on their paragraph journey. So they, they already are recognizing letters and sounds and spelling mm -hmm. and sentence structure. So having ones and twos together is a mess because one group is always going to be sitting there with nothing to do, right? Oh, yeah. And I think one of the things that, um, especially at the high school level, when we have kids coming in, because ELD is not placed by the grade they're in. It's the level of English that they're at. Oh, yeah, That's a absolutely. big part. Yeah, yeah. And I remember having students come in. I mean, my last school was predominantly Spanish speakers. Um, I had one student from China, another one from um, Russia. But our other school, I mean, we had... She had 12 different languages in her classroom, and of those 12 languages of her, like, 20-something students, four of them came in illiterate in their home language. So they had no concept of letters to write words with or that letters represented sounds. Mm -hmm. So that literacy is a huge part that comes in with your level ones. That's enough of a spectrum just in one. Absolutely. Yeah, and I – and when – the way that it, it kind of works, I, I don't know if this is every school district. I'm not sure if it's like a, a solidified law or not, but you can only have two levels of oh, EL right. in a class, right? Mm -hmm. So like you can have a class of ones and twos. You could not have a class of ones and threes. So they sure. have to be matching. Mm -hmm. um, they have to be touching. So ones and twos, you could have a class of twos and threes. You could have a class of threes and fours. You could have a class of, but you couldn't have a one and four class. Exactly. Right? Which makes sense because obviously... They have different needs. They have different they're needs. Different, they're at different levels. And I love that idea, especially because having them, like the branching of the, I agree, the way we're doing it here, level ones as one year together, but the twos and threes, I love that because it gives the kids that room to decide how far 
they want to go? How far do they want to progress? Because I've seen kids come in as an early two and leave as a late three because they had goals of their own that they wanted to meet. Yeah, and you know, I, I'm glad that you said early two and late three because um, while not like solidified in any type of like law, like I think that anyone who works with ELD students mm -hmm. usually classifies, right? Because when I'm talking to ELD teachers, I'm like, oh, I have a one who's a zero and yeah. a one who's an almost two, right? So like different, so much, so still much the difference. same, <laughs> still the same level, but obviously where where they are in their learning is completely different. But True. when I first started our ELD one population was very, very small. So the, instead of having a class of, you know, 17 kids, they made a one-two combo to make a full class. And it was a mess. Oh, and it's detrimental to the students because, I mean, we've taught these classes. So when you have a, an early ELD one or someone who comes with no literacy and you're trying to get them foundational skills while you're trying to help a late two who really needs help with like that academic writing and grammar that's gonna help them with their classes. I mean, we all teach differentiation in our subject areas, but that is one that strains not only the classroom, but the environment, the student, the teacher. Um, I love the idea of just ELD ones because they need, they have a different set of needs yeah. than our other levels. Well, and I, I wouldn't, I'd like to think that it was because of my advocacy, but it, it really, I think, was a part of it. But also, like, our last year, second semester, I got 23 new ELD1s, mm -hmm. you know. and um, So the numbers were there. The numbers were there. So starting this coming up school year, I have two classes of just ones because we know that, you know, we are going to be starting with 40, but yep. we might be ending with 63. So now we have the two classes where we can like um, start smaller and build up. Well, I think what's important is you said advocacy and you know, something that's really hard that I think of, you know, those teachers who are taking on ELD students and classes and programs. Like when I came into an ELD program, I had already been teaching for 12 years, I think. Um, and so for me, like we've talked about this in, in episode one, but you know, I taught Spanish, I'm a minor in linguistics, I love teaching English. And at 12 years, I was okay with saying like, no, this needs to happen. Like in my last district, they needed me so badly that tenured or not, I knew I wasn't going anywhere. And so advocating is so important when you know, or you've heard or you're listening to our podcast and you're like, no, level ones need to be by themselves take that leap and advocate for that because you know your school may not have that structure yet they may still be a one and two combo and not for know sure. the benefits yeah. of it at all and i think taking that leap and saying i'm going to advocate for the best environment for my students to learn you have to and not all schools have i was super lucky that my last district gave me a ton of autonomy to like say no I need fluidity I need to be able to move kids within my program if they become a two before the year is out we didn't force them to stay in a, a one class if they were branching to a two we actually worked with their teachers and their schedules and we moved them mid-year and so you know not all schools have that flexibility um, to move kids because there's only two of us there was only one of you before right so. well and you know I think I, there's two things that I I would like to touch on that you just said well one was like the the advocacy and I know that especially in education you know it's almost just seems like a washed up term like data driven <laughs> data driven data driven data you know everything is about the data but I mean truly 
I will sit in with you know my boss I'll sit in with the counselor I'll sit in with the team and be like I can prove to you you know that even though the student is a two they would be best fitted in a one class for the beginning of the year or just because the student's a one I actually know that the student should be a three but they missed half the year because they had a you know whatever an emergency oh, or yeah, whatever and they are and it's like knowing the kids it's having the data it's being able to say like no I can make a case for this kid and I think that what's that is what makes a strong uh, advocate is saying like oh no I I can tell you everything about this kid I can make a case for it and like yeah. show you um, and the second thing I was gonna say is um, you know one of the things that our district does a really good job at is we have bilingual parents that follow the core cohorts of our ones mm -hmm. so it's difficult when we have you know level one students who are ninth graders 10th graders 11th graders 12th graders they all have different schedules different math classes different english classes now they try to chunk them together and then give them um, bilingual para eds in their core mm -hmm. classes so that they get that translation um, and that is where it gets tricky because if you have a one who then, you know, later on in the school year should be, you know, really with the level twos, but they, you know, might not have the support if they move it. And I mean, it is, it becomes a jumbled, jumbled It's the resources. Mess. It really is the resources. You have, a lot of times we have to work with what we have. And, you know, we're lucky here that we have a strong admin team that trusts our professional opinions yes, to be professionals. that makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. So those, but those levels, um, you know, what's interesting is one of the things that you did this last year that, so I taught English nine and 10 before I joined our ELD program here. And I noticed like I had a strong grouping of like the level fours, the ELs who might've been with you, but had me for their English class. And so a lot of them, you know, they don't introduce themselves. And so having them show up with like a little card or having a card put in my box that said, oh, so-and-so is gonna be taking, you know, our interim testing with me because they're an ELD. It was like, oh, good, now I know because there's so many flags in our programs, whether it's, you know, if you're using Infinite Campus or Aries or whatever it is that you're using. Um, teachers, we know the term flag means that there is a note in the student's profile that lets us know if they have certain accommodations, like they're an English language learner. Um, so that's another way teachers can find out what level their students are. Are they a one, a two, or three, or a four? Um, how would you say that like helps a teacher understand the services kids are getting in their ELD classes? Well, I think, I think one, that when those schedules are being made, like it is very intentional. Um, you know, the, there's a reason that you, as, a, as somebody who, um, you know, is a, a tenured teacher who has like years of experience, who, you know, has a good track record with kids are getting the EL students, right? Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, like some teachers do really well with ELs, some teachers do really well with uh, students with disabilities, some, you know, sure. teachers do well with like different types of students. And, um, and I think that, you know, it's very intentional. We try to make it intentional to like help those kids to kind of get on the path with the teachers who are going to be the most helpful mm -hmm. and who are going to work with them the most. Um, but, you know, the flag situation can be daunting because, I mean, you should be checking the all of your flags mm -hmm. because you know you might have a flag for a kid that is an el but also a kid who's like deathly allergic to peanuts right oh, yeah. <laughs> like, and you need to know that but you know we have a huge el population and living in southern california um you know i i 
I try to help teachers know who's in their class and you know let them know that I'm here as a resource and I know that you will be this next year too um, and you know just letting them know like if you don't know what you're doing or you feel like the least qualified teaching ELs mm-hmm. like true we can help you with whatever you need and there's so and many skills like I constantly get told well, Meeks, it's okay because, you know, you speak Spanish. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Bradley doesn't. And she teaches the whole, she runs the whole Oh, program. my gosh. <laughs> I, that is the number one thing that people say when I say, oh, I teach ELD. And they say, oh, so you speak Spanish? And I'm like, first of all, no. But second of all, <laughs> neither do all of my students. Like, yeah, this, that's is, true. this perception that we only have Spanish speakers, and that's not true. I mean, in California, um, there's a majority, a large majority that do, but... They come with all kinds of language. And just because they're coming from Central or South America doesn't necessarily mean they speak um, Spanish. They might speak a different dialect. Oh, my gosh. A native dialect. Native dialects, Mayan dialects. I had a student um, from Portugal who's, who or Brazil who spoke Portuguese. Portuguese. Mm-hmm. And there, and it was like, oh, that's that's close enough to Spanish. And he was like, no, no it's, it's not. not. <laughs> I don't it's know what's not. going on. I don't know what's going on in English, and I don't know what's going on. Well, one of the things that you also mentioned to me, um, I think is important for teachers to understand, is that, you know, when you have these levels of ones, twos, threes, fours, is that even once a student is reclassified, they still have a monitoring period. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For four years now, uh, the state of California changed that a few years ago. Because um, it went from two years of monitoring mm-hmm. to four. That's correct. To make yeah. sure that students were getting the services that they needed. Because one of the misconceptions that bothers me the most, especially having taught languages and growing up speaking Spanish and English, is that you are always a language learner. Like even now, we were talking about like our videos that we're teaching. I'm like, I could teach that in Spanish, I think. You know, I have to remember. <laughs> right. Like I've been teaching literature and English for the last, I don't know, four years that sometimes I forget that using Spanish in an academic or professional sense is different than like the Spanish I use at home with my kids and my family. And it can be tricky because when you I when you get up to like our threes and fours, them understanding and being able to speak English is very, very high. Like when we look oh, at yeah. the test scores, it's like through the roof, but then you see their writing and you hear them read out loud or like they're reading and it's much, much lower, but you would mm-hmm. never, I think that's when teachers aren't looking at the flags. It's very easy to just assume. Oh, to misread it. Yeah. Like they, they're, it's very easy to assume that because they speak well, that their reading and their writing is at that same level. Absolutely. Right. I mean, as English speakers, we know that that's not true. (laughs) You know, it's okay. I have students who present all the time. And when they go, I just tell them to start off, write what you would tell me. Right. And then we can work on the grammar and the transitions from there. And I think for our language learners um, and for the teachers who are trying to figure out, you know, what level is my student um, going back to those flags or even just asking the student. Like, I think that's a huge part. Like students, all students need to be seen. And so if there is any idea in your mind that this student might need additional services, it's okay to ask them like, you know, oh, so you speak English and Spanish? Like, were you, I ask my students all the time. So were you in an ELD program? And they might tell me like, oh yeah, in elementary school or in middle school, I reclassified. You know, and we have, and and it's crazy because I mean, this is state law, right? Mm -hmm. There's not a whole lot of like, in my opinion, like if you're, you know, if it's the law, like you should be doing it. But I mean, the students who come in who are like, I haven't been in ELD 
you know, for years. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, but you're still flagged as one you didn't reclassify, you know. And, and yeah. obviously, like, a lot of times, you know, we if a student comes in and they're like, I'm taking AP Lit, I don't know why mm-hmm. I'm now going into ELD. Like, there's a process that we can, like, put them on a waiver, but they still have to take the LPAC and, um, well, you know, those tests. <laughs> brings at us the end to of the another year. topic. Well, I'm not sure if we're going to discuss today, but the LTEL. Oh, topic. yes. <laughs> we are going to leave that for our next um, episode because I have so many things to say. So, about just LTEL. as a hint, LTEL refers to our long term. English language learners Um, because again you know you can speak English and do well at it but still struggle with that reading writing literacy that prevents you from passing the LPAC and reclassifying. Yes and actually that is my that is the whole uh, uh, foundation of my dissertation which we will do uh, next time on our next episode because we are out of time. Thank you so much. I love these conversations. <laughs> and uh, thank you, listeners. Next time we'll talk about LTELs and uh, continue on this language learner journey. And don't forget um, that will be on our episode five because episode four will be for our student listening, intentional listening activities. Absolutely. So uh, thanks for listening to the English Language Leaders. I'm Meeks. I'm Bradley. Until next time. Bye. Bye.